When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Bald Move Prestige film. We've got a treat for you today. This is Gene Siskel, uh, Roger Ebert's better half. Wait. The, the equally important half. Uh, it's the 1977 dance drama Saturday Night Fever. It's directed by John Batham, who you probably don't recognize, but he directed some, some bangers from our youth, if you're a fellow Gen Xer. Blue Thunder, War Games, Short Circuit... Hmm. Number five is still alive in my heart, Jim. Uh, the screenplay is written by Norman Wexler, who also wrote Serpico. Uh, this guy had a lifelong battle with depression and bipolarism. He was arrested in 1972 for making a credible threat against the life of President Richard Nixon. Wow. Uh, an, an odd guy. It's based on the tribal rights of New Saturday Night uh, by Nick Cohn. Uh, he also wrote the novel I'm Still the Greatest, says Johnny Angelo, which legend says inspired David Bowie's album The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and Spiders from Mars. Um, Going to be talking a lot about this this uh, this article in the uh, main text of the podcast. It stars John Travolta. He's famous from Greece. Face Off, Battlefield Earth, a Meteoric Rise, Fall, Meteoric Second Rise, Fall. Uh, Karen Lynn Gorney um plays his opposite stephanie uh there's this 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 was filmed on a shoestring br- budget most of these people were first timers only timers small broadway uh off broadway types uh but it did no i did there was one other name that jumped out at me face and voice jumped out at me friend drescher mm-hmm. shows up halfway through this film to <laughs> just get 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 shat on by by travolta uh, I want to say this movie is streaming for free on Amazon Prime Video. So if you've got Amazon Prime, guess what? You can have Saturday Night Fever tonight, even on a Monday. It's not illegal. Wednesday, don't have to wait till Saturday. Get that, catch that fever now. Um, the 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 reason I've always I've never seen this movie, but the reason I've kind of always been on my back burner is because this you know legend had it this was Gene Siskel's favorite movie, and yeah. to the extent that he bought. Travolta's famous ice cream disco suit and the silk shirt and everything uh, kept it in his closet, bought it for, a, I think he said he outbid Jane Fonda $2,000 to win it. He later sold it at auction for almost $200,000, a tidy profit 20 years later. Hmm. Um, and I've always been like, what is, yeah, like, uh, you know, I've got an interesting relationship with Gene Siskel. Roger Ebert is my favorite film critic. I was first exposed to them both through siskel and ebert uh Mm -hmm. was a religious fan watched them for many many years but as soon as essentially chicago sun times came to the internet i just started reading rogers uh articles and never really looked back but you know he's kind of known for the the main foil the the nemesis of of my hero roger ebert uh, one of his best friends too and i thought this would be interesting to finally see like what all the fuss is and wow i i was surprised how about you have you (laughs) Did you know anything about this movie other than just cultural absorption? Yeah, I've seen it before. Um, okay, okay. And that was that was a bit of a, a saving grace, let's say, a, a, an airbag of sorts for me. 
Um, Because I get the distinct impression that the feeling about this movie and the zeitgeist is that it is a shiny, glossy dance uh, number, basically front to back. And it is not that. Um, It's it's front to middle. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then the middle just takes a turn and grinds this character into the dirt. Um, and, and I, I, I was curious to hear what you thought about this, or I guess basically your expectations versus the realities of the movie. Because when I first saw this movie, I had the same impression that this was a disco laden dance film and I was going to go into it, uh, and come out of it the other end, like all happy and ready to go dance. I'm not that at the end of this movie. I, it's very different from what you expect. Is was that your impression of it? Yeah, yeah. At the end of this movie, I'm ready to go back to the paint store and just mind my own fucking business and stop dreaming, stop dreaming and making it over that bridge. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, you know, I always thought about like, you know, uh, Gene Siskel saw this 17 times at the movie when it came out, the year it oh, came out. What? And like his favorite movie, and I always had this, you know, like this crazy th- dream of you know him watching with a bowl of popcorn, a big smile on his face, because it's got to be so much fun, and it probably reminds him of a time in his youth. And and I guess all that was true, but it's not like the sure. youth he had. It's more like the youth that he always wanted. Like I wish I was the kind of guy that could go out just with my my the the movement of my hips and sheer force of personality dominate a nightclub. Mm-hmm. And he always thought that was the epitome of cool. Um and. I I was struck by how similar this felt to watching Boogie Nights where you've got this young and experienced person with a gift and they're kind of naive. But I think Travolta's mm-hmm. got a little bit more extra dimensions, you know, like he does definitely seems like a very smart person that just hasn't had the right inputs to fully express that. Um, hmm. You know, then becomes kind of a love story and like the dance numbers lived up like every single time, like the dance floor cleared out and that like almost galactic stage. Mm-hmm. At the disco 2001, kind of like the smoke rolled out over it and Travolta just took it over. I'm like, I, yeah, this, this kind of really works. And there's always, you know, it's like the Rocky era, like, good God, I can only watch this relationship between fingers because it's just so terrible and shocking from a modern day perspective. Just the way Travolta treats women, uh, the way he go yeah. about courting women, just, just like, it's all the just racism. fucking awful. Yeah. The ra- oh. Yeah. The, the, the racism, you got the Italians and the Mexicans at each other's throat in this movie um, and like some the family drama because that's very that's another a very uh, Dirk Diggler kind of thing like his mom screaming at him what a failure is and he's dumb and everybody's riding him down um, mm-hmm. but this movie at about its three quarter mark takes a turn into the heart of darkness yeah. where I just couldn't fucking believe what I was seeing and the 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 juxtaposition from the tone I was expecting and what the movie had kind of <laughs> delivered up to that point to uh-huh. I was going to lay it out for you like there is g- graphic rape um, sexual assault uh, suicide like all the trigger warnings for the third three quarter mark of this fucking movie my god and it's not um, it's not kind of the downward spiral that you see in so many movies where and especially in the disco era, you would think, oh, well, he gets too much into drugs, too much into booze, and it just takes its toll on him. This yeah. is very this doesn't really have any of that. It's very different. Yeah. Well, and it's like because I the things I was expected to like kind of like think were jarring was like because I you know, it's it's this movie is pretty famous for the 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 white 
and straight washing of disco, which was, sure. pre- you know, that's predominantly came out of like queer and black culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you'd think that fucking <laughs> John, John, 19 year old John Travolta invented it and perfected it. Um, but sure. that's like <laughs> that's like not even the top 10, like uh, eyebrow raising uh, crazy <laughs> things in this this movie, because like I said, it's just yeah. kind of par for the course. And I always think. I was thinking like like in 1977, did people watch this movie like, oh, God, this is a tragic thing. Um, it's kind of like in 50 years from now, like if people are watching Breaking Bad and they're like, wow, does Walter White guy uh, quit teaching school and started making meth and killing people because he came down with cancer and he couldn't afford the treatment? That seems like an extreme reaction. Why? Why would you do something like that? But in 2010 America, you're like, OK, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Like. Is that how people watch this movie or was it kind of like you're supposed to condemn? And I some of the contemporary readings I did, I didn't get like, I mean, obviously no one's condoning the shit happens at the end, but. Yeah, they, so some nasty shit happens and uh, Travolta's character, Tony Monero, is directly involved in a fair portion of it. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I want to say somehow the film manages to keep him a sympathetic protagonist to a degree i i'm like not a tony to a degree. monero apologist or anything i think he's kind of a scumbag and i yeah i actually don't think he's like super smart i think he's smarter than his friends which is not saying a lot um, this is true but but they're they're they managed to do it through i guess the relationship he develops with with another character over the mm-hmm. course of the film and that is kind of his redemption arc or or I guess the start of a redemption arc. And and it, without a couple of scenes at the very end of this movie, I feel like Tony is completely unsympathetic. But it, it, I don't know. I came out of this movie going, okay, this is a stupid kid who's done some bad shit. Big fish, little pond syndrome. He's realizing it all. And now he's trying to make good on some of that stuff. Um, and so that's where the sympathy comes from that he realizes like, yeah, shit's not good. It's not good. And I'm part of that. So it does manage to ring a little sympathy out of me, but boy, it's got a long road on that. The thing that sabotaged that for me is that they filmed his kind of like awakening to his friends are kind of scum and he is getting trapped in the situation where nothing but bad things are happening. People are making bad decisions. They don't have any. You know, like he has aims and he has desires beyond just like the disco floor. And it just seems to me that none of his friends do. They frame that as him like just being a mat, like like almost delusional. Like when he's like, oh, I didn't win this. Those other people like, you know, and, and that plays off as the guilt from the assault that he did on the, the Mexican gang. Like it, it, just the way they play that, it's it's not like he's turning over a, a new leaf. It's like he's delusional. Like Because I, I, that's what I thought. It's like, huh. did you... I, I like that contest. Like, did you think that the couple outdanced them? Well, Tony's the best dancer we've seen to to that point, and he says uh-huh. they did, so I believe him. I, I'm not a judge but, of dancing. I'm. I'm I don't. Well, dance, that's the thing. So. But like, is he an? Because I felt like he was kind of an unreliable. You know, like like he like he well, was I having this like massive game inferiority complex. As soon as I realized this is Tony's club, he fucking runs this place, and everybody knows yeah. him. Everybody loves him there, and they're going to have this yeah. contest in the club. I'm like, well, he's going to win. Uh, it's inherently biased toward him, and so mm. 
for him to then say, yeah, this was inherently biased toward me and I don't deserve this win, I think is right on. And I, and I really love how he plays the rest of the movie. It's a, a quiet, contemplative last third of this film for him. Um, with with some exception. I mean, he, he does have outbursts where he's like, you know what, I'm, I'm fed up with this life. So, something is wrong about this. I can't put my finger on it. And then he just sits like the rest of the movie and thinks about it. And then all bad shit's happening like, here's all, all Yeah, like within the space of 15 minutes in one location. It's like, it's kind of like Ebenezer Scrooge, except for all the things that he had done and like the things that are going to happen to him. It's like, look at all the shit that's going to happen to your friends and people you vaguely care about. It's good. They're going to. Yeah. They're going to lose everything. Yeah. Yeah. If you get mixed up with them. Um, uh-huh. It's. It's wild, though, because this is it's my understanding that this movie was made by essentially a wreck. This is essentially beach blanket bingo or an Elvis Presley kind of movie where they expressly had this thing written to sell disco music, uh, primarily Bee Gees, like they're headlining it. And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, why wasn't it like a Elvis goes to Hawaii or Gidget film? Why did why did they take it to such? crazy operatic shakespearean lows at the end like why didn't they just keep it fun and and keep it moving and (laughs) i mean i think about like the some of the films that were really popular at the time that like captured sure a new kind of filmmaking right like you look at scorsese's stuff with like taxi driver um you look at uh, you just look at some of the like darker tones in film around that time and i think I mean, Rocky was, was a big influence, too. Like, this is a sure, yeah. a lot of its structure from Rocky. Totally. Uh, yeah, I think this movie was kind of written to sell. It's just, boy, that era, a lot of people didn't have uh, a lot of faith in a lot of things. <laughs> Not a yeah, lot of made it to be a, optimistic. A, a rated R movie to appeal to teenagers, and it worked so well that they had to re-release a PG, a PG version of it, where they cut, like, seven minutes out of it. I know exactly which ones they did. Uh-huh. And, you know, then it's like a more a much more conventional kind of like upbeat uh, romance where, you know, the guy does a thing and then he has a certain way he feels about it and he lashes out at people. But then he learns, you know, he learns and grows and says he's not going to make it. A lot of it is a little bit forgivable because he's 19. You right. know, right. And an he doesn't do the worst of the shit. He at most stands mutely by and cast judgment. But yeah um yeah with some exception with one yeah notable exception but yeah uh yeah honestly i was ex- i was expecting especially I, I was expecting more something like a boogie nights where yeah, guys ex- you know crazy things happen in that movie too but like <laughs> yeah by the end everything's okay and it's kind of a farce and it never kind of like gets its tongue out of its cheek but yeah this movie just decided to be fucking serious yeah. um it feels cool. right for the time. I don't know. I mean, this before, mm. especially like New York, right? When I think of New York, I, I'm comparing this to like the deuce. Right. And like how that thing sh- starts off is like very grimy, very grungy, very like that's the word grime. with itself. Grimy. New York. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You think of all the, the civil rights struggles, uh, the, the sexuality uh, dynamics mm. that were going on there at the time. It's like, sure. So just a lot of, anger resentment tribalism just just a lot of shit happening in the city and it was before like the cocaine era of high-powered wall street business people right where everybody was like flying high and this was like between the highs of disco and the highs of wall street 
Yeah, there's yeah, this yeah. massive valley, and that is, this movie is firmly in that valley. No, you're exactly right. Deuce is a very good comparison because it's got that same kind of like you might have the glitziest things happening inside these buildings that are just like, you know, covered in grime and grease and mm-hmm. all brick and none of that light gets outside to the city. Um, and that the location, you yeah. know, like this is not uh, it's not a period piece, but it does kind of like freeze in time. You know, it's like I guess this is really lionizing things that happened five or six years before it but the costuming mm-hmm. the locations um all that stuff felt very authentic um it's funny because like i was i was i, I was so, some of the um the john travolta family struggles i'm like wow this is pretty broad and kind of paint by numbers and i don't mm-hmm. know how authentic it feels and like were there really raging gang wars between the italian americans and the mexican americans and this uh late 1970s maybe there were i i don't know but then i did you i got maybe we can save this for the spoiler section but did you see the background behind this nick cones tribal rights to the new saturday night i did not get into that no this story that i mean i know it was kind of the basis for this film is yeah it's just a work of fiction it's just fabulism uh writ large uh and that's like and i feel like that yeah this feels a lot because I, I, I was like, huh, it's based on a true story, huh? Oh, the true story is bullshit. That makes a lot more sense. Um, but did it capture something that was a vibe at the time? It must have, right? It definitely felt like it captured a vibe. Like, I want to believe there were clubs like this where you had locals. Uh, you know, that essentially, there was a club that was essentially like Soul Train or American Bandstand where, like, you mm-hmm. know, the regulars could with come in their flashy shows, their clothes on Friday and Saturday night and just, like, bully everyone off the dance floor and just take it over for a couple minutes and everybody's on board with it yeah it feels like tony montana walking into his club right and yeah and everybody you know is is high-fiving him and glad handing him and all, yeah. all these kinds of shows of respect and I, and I was definitely big smiles the early parts of this movie like the way it uh-huh. opens where he's just strutting down the street to staying alive and this neon credit sequence is like emblazoned over his face and he's just like looking for flash, you know, he's like looking at oh, these, these, oh, look at these cool boots. Look at this. I'm going to put five dollars on his cool shirt. I, I need the, you know, cause he's a, he's a peacock. He, he's peacocking a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> like he's just, you know, if they had invented fedoras, he would be wearing one of those things. But it's like, everything is just like this big, <laughs> like flex and it's like and there's also here's another a really odd thing what the fuck is going on with his brother's storyline in this movie oh dude yeah i want to talk about his family there's one thing i also saw this movie do that i've never seen before i think we before we get too deep into it should probably yeah tell people what the movie's about and get get that and then we can talk spoilers yeah we should we should we'll be right back with more bald move after this brief pause Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You've been listening to quite a few Bald Move podcasts now, but you're not in the club? Oh boy, you are missing out. 
Not only are all of our Premium Club podcast feeds completely ad-free, but we have lots of other great content exclusively for people in the club. There's a weekly lunch with Jim and Aaron where we chat with fans about anything and everything from TV and films, food, fun, life advice, and more. But there's also Off the Clock, our premium podcast where we talk about all the shows we don't have time for on our public feeds. Plus, you get access to our full spoiler-filled first-run movie reviews of our newly released films. Don't forget Instant Take and Talk Podcast, where we give our hot takes and discuss television shows with our fans live and immediately after the episode airs. With mega shows like House of the Dragon coming this summer, we're going to have lots to talk about. Not to mention access to our fun and friendly community of club members with exclusive Discord channels and a dedicated forum. It's one of the best places on the internet to hang out and chat about pop culture. Bottom line, you're helping two regular type guys in the Midwest make the content you like to listen to, which some would say is reward unto itself. Help keep the lights on and the bits flowing at Bald Move. And get some awesome content for yourself. Head to support.baldmove.com to join the club today. And now, back with more Bald Move. This movie is about uh, a guy named Tony. He's played by John Travolta. He's 19 years old. He's out of high school. He's not going to college. He works at the local hardware store in Brooklyn, and he dreams of escaping there to the bright lights of Manhattan. It's funny, in 21st century America, the fact that Brooklyn is some cultural backwater, and oh, gee, if you could only make it to Manhattan, mm-hmm. bastion of culture there, it's kind of... <laughs> But uh, yeah. he, he that's what he dreams of. And well, Beastie Boys hadn't come along yet. So true. True. He uh, he comes along and uh, he he his escape from this life where his mom judges him for not being his older brother, who's a priest and his dad, who's unemployed and runs him down for being a stock boy. He escapes to the club where he is the undisputed king. He is the best looking jiggliest hips, uh, best presented chest hair. Uh, perfectly quaffed uh, head hair and he just he just dominates and it's about his uh, circle of working class friends that are doing the same and all the hangers on and uh, people that are hoping to get a dance or a fuck or something off of him and the plot is loosely based on him wanting to win this um, dance contest with a semi-professional dancer who is, I think, kind of already made the escape. And he kind of both indies and admires her. And yeah, yeah. yeah we're, we're right, right into the movie proper. Uh, will he win the contest? More importantly, will he grow up? Will he be worthy of this woman's love? Uh, can, can he get over his own massive inferiority complexes that he hides with his Bruce Lee posters and his Al Pacino posters? You'll have to watch the movie to find out and just be completely fucking shocked at where it goes in the end. Um. All right. That's Saturday Night Fever. Uh. What? 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 You want to talk about were... his brother, or you want to talk about the thing that I've never seen a movie do? Let's talk. Okay. Actually, what's the thing that you've never seen a movie do? And this is an indication of how music forward this is. I've never seen a movie put the credits for the songs in the movie ahead of the cast. It's yes. the first thing that comes up in the credits. Bee Gees. Staying yeah. Alive. And and all the songs. I mean, they they, mm-hmm. they reverse ordered the credits here. It's usually at the very end. Uh, it just tells you like what what was in their head when they were making this film. They were like, "This is going to be big. The soundtrack of this movie is going to be the number one album ever." And it was actually. Mm-hmm. 
mm. um, the best selling album, period. And it's blistering. Like, I, you know, I know disco yeah. is supposedly dead, but like these things fucking want you, want, they, they do one thing and one thing only. They want you to get your booty on a dance floor and shake it. And, and, and I don't know how much uh, like white straight washing is going on on this soundtrack. I don't know who these bands really are, except for obviously the Bee Gees. I think they're all uh, white guys, but yeah. Okay. I was going to say like every disco song you've ever heard is on this soundtrack. Uh, yeah. If you're not yeah. a big disco fan, like Disco Inferno, If I Can't Have mm-hmm. You, Night Fever, More Than a Woman, You Should Be Dancing, Boogie Shoes. You know shoes. what that made my head snap back? Disco Duck. <laughs> I had my, in there? I didn't hear it. Dude, I had a little record player, little Raggedy Ann and Andy oh portable God. record player that I had a, a a slew of different like Mickey Mouse and Goofy and a couple of Batman dramatic, you know, comic book recordings and things like that. And one of them was Disco it was was Disco Duck. And it was a bunch of reworked village people instead of Macho Macho, but they actually had that. Um, but they also had Disco Duck, where it's just essentially the village people doing a disco song and Donald Duck doing his <laughs> stuff like just randomly in the middle of it. <laughs> Why? And and did you, I don't know if you heard it, but they played, they dropped no. Disco Duck when Mr. 65% was leading the class of women. That's what he was kind of having him hustle to. Wow. And no, I'm like, I ignored that one. Yeah, it's like, wow, how did that get played in the club? Like, I, it's, yeah, I guess it's like it'd be like going to the club and hearing Alvin and the Chipmunks or something. It's wild. Yeah, so big, big soundtrack. There's one song that doesn't fit. You know, I'm not even sure it's a song or if it's the beginning of a song, but there's one sequence when Tony's riding the subway uh, out to Manhattan at the end of the movie where they play something that's very, like, moody and dark and it's still like synthesizers but it's very Mm. different tonally from the rest of the soundtrack and i actually like that more i think than any of the disco songs although come on the disco songs are bangers yeah the disco songs when they are accompanying actual disco dancing are pretty amazing and there's like these fully there's like what do you think about five fully realized dance scenes in this movie probably yeah um and I think they, but, but you're right. Disco is like, you know, it doesn't have an extremely wide emotional palette, I don't think. Yeah, it's good time party music. I, so you're right. This was like, again, it seems like a big Hollywood and uh, recording arts collaboration to sell records. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot more artistic um, integrity than than a lot of the things that you'd, you'd think of, you know. Um, but I also, it, there, there's, you know, this was kind of based on a fabricated tale. And the one, the thing that really stood out as jarring is his brother, the priest who only exists to make Travolta's home life more miserable because he is the shining example of everything that he's not. And Mm -hmm. he's serves that just fine being a framed portrait above the family dining room table. When he comes home and defrocks himself, I don't understand what point that serves for the movie. Like, so it's, it's, I, it I takes... think this is, I think this is a brother that has made mistakes. This is an older brother who's made the mistake that Tony's potentially about to make, which is not to follow his heart. Because you get, I get the distinct impression that Frank Jr., which is Tony's older brother, has gone into the priesthood 
because that's what his family expected him to do. Just to make him happy, yeah. Right, and he's trying to live up to their expectations, make their mom uh, proud, and he's done that, but he's miserable for it. And so he quits, and he comes home, and he tells Tony, basically, like, don't make that mistake. Just live your own life. Don't try and live up to others' expectations of you. And that is where kind of the cracks start to form in Tony's, I guess, uh, image of himself. Hmm. Because I didn't think he was especially trying to please his parents. Like, I felt like he was doing whatever the hell he wanted to. Yeah, but but I don't know. He he's he's trying to figure himself out, right? He's working at the yeah. hardware store. He's disco dancing at night, and he very much doesn't know if I don't know. He's twenty years old, so like you got some dancing ahead of you, man. But he's talking like, oh, my body is not going to tolerate all this dancing for much longer. I'm gonna have to figure out what to actually do. And I think he he's at the precipice of a decision where he have to like decide: am I going to please my parents, my family, and go into whatever they want me to do? Uh, or am I going to live my own life? I think Frank is there to push him in one direction. Hmm. It doesn't feel like the. It just doesn't feel like the push was all that effectual. And like, there's so much time. Like that scene that they bring the priest to the dance club. Uh huh. Like went on a long time, and he's just there grinning like an idiot. And there, I, I guess that services his other friend who eventually commits sort of kind of suicide to like kind of show that he's got like really nowhere to turn and no one is paying him any attention. And, mm-hmm. um, but I, yeah, I just feel like this movie is not too long, but being short for a movie like this would, you know, be, being a little shorter would never hurt a movie like this. And I feel like that's an easy yeah. seven minutes you take out. And I, again, I, I don't, I don't know that it's invalid to do the things they do at the end of this movie. It just feels like, Man, if this movie is made nowadays, people would ask like, oh, did, are these moments earned? Uh, because like in no way does this yeah. movie build you up to something that that uh, is grim as like they essentially commit. Um, around th- with 30 minutes to go in a movie, they commit a racial hate crime that mm-hmm. was falsely motivated. It was kind of uh-huh. like loosely justified as this race, you know, racial subgroup on racial subgroup crime. But then it's, it turns out not just a bunch of bullshit. Um, uh, there's incredible emotional cruelty. There is an attempted rape and physical assault, actual gang rape. And it's like, again, I cannot tell you how out of nowhere this comes. <laughs> right, I was ready right. for him to, you know, like his friend, you know, to like deal with getting his other friend, his his girlfriend pregnant. And I was, I was maybe going for a drug addiction or a job loss or maybe his old man having a heart attack or something. Those mm. are the stakes that the movie to that point had had earned. It just cr- it crashes through that like they crashed his buddy's car through the <laughs> Barracuda's hideout, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I, and, and I kind of appreciate it more for that. I, I think. Hmm. Hmm. Well, the thing is, is like these also it's 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 fascinating. I don't know, like it's I always think it's really interesting to see very smart characters that are are, you know, just don't have the appropriate cultural or educational inputs to fully express these complex. Like it's what it's mm-hmm. always fascinating to see, like how they write the kids on the wire. You know, these sure. guys are having very uh, complex adult situations, but they don't have the the experience or the education to kind of like talk about them in conventionally intelligent ways. But like the dialogue is like, God damn, with the, the limits they have, they are really grappling with this in smart ways. And like Travolta has got this one speech where it's like 
his breaking points reached. And he's like, I don't know. It's just like everybody's dumping on everybody. Sometimes mm. I think even the humping is part of the dumping. And I'm like, <laughs> come on, come on. I think they should have cut that last line, the hump and dumping part. But <laughs> the rest of it, I'm like, yeah, man, I feel like you. this yeah. is not a smart guy that's wrestling with things that like, you know, this is just this is I don't know. Well, I don't think he's a smart guy. I think he's a, a mediocre intelligence at best. He's just comparatively wow. smart for all the people around him. Like why? OK, can I tell you why I think he's smart? Like sure. he's talking about like, you know, he studied Romeo and Juliet in high school and like the, I got out that line where him and Stephanie were meeting for the first time and she's kind of like coming pretty high and mighty and he's kind of like trying to get in where he fit in and he talks about Romeo and Juliet and like starts talking about the themes and his thoughts on it and she shuts him down and is like Shakespeare. I'm talking about this director like she's not even aware that this is based on hmm. a work that he actually read and studied in school and she's talking about her. And she's gone to college and all this stuff. And it's like, and he kind of like, there's this flash where he's like, oh, well, that's stupid. But I, I don't know. Like, I, and even she says later in the movie, it's like, you know, he asks her, do you think I'm smart or interesting? And she goes, well, you're certainly interesting. And then she says, but you do have like this certain way of looking at things and putting things together. And I sure, got that sure. from him. You know, the humping, dumping stuff, notwithstanding. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. thought I mean, he's he was. The, he's the guy in the group who can get shit done, right? He, he yeah. tells everybody else how it should be because he's the only one who has a brain cell in his head. Right. But he's a kid and he doesn't understand like the importance of keeping your word, the your buddy who's kind of suicidal. And he doesn't understand yeah. the just horrible way he's treating some of these women. Um, but when I look at Stephanie, I don't think she is like a bastion of intelligence either. I think they're both like naive kids who are she she's one step ahead of him in her quest i guess to figure herself out but yeah. she's going about it in the wrong ways right she's latching on to people who are using and abusing her because they can tell her you know how to get by in the city or whatever um she's out there trying to act like the people she's seen in the city name dropping oh i had lunch with yeah. Uh, Joe Namath yesterday, you know, Joe Namath, mm -hmm. he's super popular and Joe Namath had coffee with me, you know, 15 other names. She feels like she's trying to fake it until she makes it. And oh, 100%. Tony's like one step behind her on that. And he's kind of latching onto her the way that she latched onto some dude at her firm or whatever. Right. Right. So I, I, I don't know they, and when I look at her, I don't see her as any different than Tony, and I don't see any of them as particularly intelligent, which is not to say they're not capable. I think... Yeah, 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 yeah. I think both of them, like, are able to read people very well, are able to, like, suss out a situation and a dynamic in in, in social interactions and stuff, but, like, intelligence? I don't know. Yeah, yeah I've been rewatching Justified and I mentioned The Wire earlier. I think there's a way that you can write people that are smart, but, you know, have, you know, limited, you know, like educational opportunities or just haven't had that mm -hmm. environment for that intelligence to express in a way that you get their smart. Like, you know, Boyd Crowder, extremely yeah. smart character, even though uh, actually he's like maybe even the exception proves the rule because he will quote Shakespeare and all this other shit. Right, but, right. Um I don't know like and and it just it just it feels like and maybe it's because this is a fabricated like you know this this guy this Nick Cone uh was given this beat 
you know, he was like Hunter S. Thompson. His editors like go out to these nightclubs and tell me about this disco craze. And he goes to his first nightclub and he witnesses a street fight uh, before he even gets inside that the, the, the door is barricaded by his massive street fight. And as he's watching it, some guy comes over, leans and throws up on him. And he cr- crosses the bridge back wow. to his and he's like, fuck this. I'm not having anything to do with this. I have this assignment. You know what? I grew up in a working class Northern Ireland neighborhood. I'm just going to erase all the cultural details and pretend that my like my my Irish friend, working class friends are these Italian American working class friends. And I'm just going to write essentially what I know. Um, and there's something that just I don't know feels inauthentic about the dialogue and some of the mm-hmm. ways the characters interact. It just doesn't. I think he's trying for that smart character that's held back because you know the, uh, they didn't think that they could hack it in college or or whatever. But like he just doesn't quite get it. The other thing <laughs> is they had this like in Les Mis the Fantine Cossette, you know, like there's this one wretched woman who's destined to love this man and he doesn't see her at all. And this one woman that for reasons that are largely unexplained, he just is head over heels and he's always kind of like debasing one at the expense of the other. The other one's like giving so much of herself, um, including her life, I think at the end. Uh, And it's just, it's just never enough. And I got that with, uh, what is this? Annette? Is it? Yeah. Annette yeah. is the Fantine and Stephanie is the Cosette because mm-hmm. I don't understand why John Travolta is so fucking intrigued by Stephanie. And I don't understand why he hates or just is scornful of Annette so much, except for she loves him. And he's not capable of accepting that. Maybe because Annette's be attractive. She's a good dancer. She seems like she's, she's smart. She's not a great dancer. She's, she's not a, a great good dancer. dancer. She's not a great dancer, whereas Stephanie is. And I think that is why... That's the most like, important thing. Uh, yeah, to him at the beginning of the movie, absolutely. Um, Just the shit that he says to her and how they like linger oh, on. like You can see her heart being ripped out of like multiple fucking times in this movie. And every time she gets to like a new low where it's like, he's like, fine, I guess I'll fuck you. It's like, aren't you, aren't you on the pill or... You don't have an IUD or you don't have a diaphragm or nothing. Ah, oh, fuck it. Just give me a blow. I don't even want that. And like, she's just like, Jesus Christ, what have I become? And then the very next scene she tries, she's like, I'm prepared now, Tony. I got the condoms. He's just like, Jesus Christ, you make me sick. I'm like, fucking hell. Yeah. Well, uh, this is, he's, he's sick with his own life. He's sick of his own life rather. Uh, but there's, there's something with that, that like the fact that he can't uh-huh. accept just her, I guess, love and admiration because he doesn't feel like he's worth it well i I think nobody there is trying for anything better um Hmm. you know he's he's climbed as high as he can in that social uh dynamic and i just think he's looking for something something bigger something more real maybe um he's the big fish in small pond he even said that that same phrase and he's Uh, looking for a bigger pond yeah bigger fish absolutely uh but but also something more real i think i i I look at that and say well he could just you know go into the city to dance if he wanted to cross the bridge uh find a bigger club find better dancers and compete against them but that doesn't seem like what he's necessarily after he's more after a life that is his own and a life that's real at least that's the impression i get based on his home life as well 
and then all that that interaction with his brother. Hmm. So I don't know. Even if he found a bigger pond, I don't think it would necessarily be good enough for him. Because like at the, the end, he's not excited to be in Manhattan and be dancing. He's right. excited to be starting a new life with a friend. I guess. Like I think I, the whole ending felt like a false note to me too. But maybe it's a sign of his maturity. Um, I, well, every time I've been saying Fantine, I've been meaning ep, uh, Eponine. By the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks for saving me on on that one. Uh, well, I was Talitha. hearing Pantene, so. <laughs> um, shit, where was I? Uh, yeah, yeah, the the the, the ending of that seems false. I don't know. I I think because like the, the, maybe that's why I got the wrong idea about the ending is that I saw like him unable to take uncritical praise or adoration, you know, um, like except in very limited cases when he's on the dance floor and he's like undisputed and everyone's telling him how great he is. But if there's anytime there's a challenge and and even his relationship with Stephanie, it's like the thing is, is like I don't understand why he's so because it, it was very clear to me that Stephanie is just maybe one step ahead of the ladder from him. Yep. And she's acting like she has already made it. In fact, a lot of things she was saying, uh-huh. like where she's so self-consciously copying her betters, mannerisms and stuff, but she's got this like, uh, you know, outrageous accent, you know, working class accent. And I'm like, you, if we saw the movie from your perspective, I'd imagine a lot of your friends at the firm are kind of laughing at you. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. Totally. Did they also make it explicit or is it implicit that this older man who's mentoring her is taking advantage of her sexually too? Was uh, that I, explicit? It's not explicit, but it's heavily it implied. It definitely seems like it's implied. So it's like one of those things where it's like she, you mentioned fake it to make it, which is fair enough, but also there's a certain amount of patheticness that comes to the early goings of that. Oh, for Especially sure. when you, I don't think she's doing it consciously. I think it's subconsciously. It's just like, Oh, everything these people are doing, they are my betters. So mm-hmm. everything they're doing is better. Like yes. even drinking tea over coffee, like tea is superior intellectually to coffee or something. Like, right. no, that's stupid. But and, like and with lemon specifically, like she's drinking it exactly like them. Right. And, and the and, pinky is out and she's from the porcelain <laughs> cup. And that's that's the better way to do it. Obviously, drinking co- coffee out of a styrofoam cup is trash. I just thought that was like she's just such an empty shirt. Well, she's also not getting so. So the thing that like tony and her have in common that i think really connects them is she is not getting any approval or praise the same way that tony did because if you look at her actions Mm. she's someone who lives in the city with a man who basically tells her how to live her life Mm. and when she wants to dance when she wants to feel good about herself she comes back to brooklyn she goes over the bridge she dances in this shitty club right where the small where the big fish in the small pond is just that. And so she can be that big fish in that club where she's not in her daytime life. Right. Hmm. So she is, she is very much like never given that praise, just like Tony with his family. And then the, the thing that I really like about Tony's journey here is when, when he wins quote unquote wins that competition. uh, And he realizes this is all false. He realizes every bit of praise he's gotten here has been false. All of his friends who are cheering him on and saying, you're such an amazing dancer. That's all bullshit, right? Like they would say that no matter what, because he's the guy they look up to. And it's not that he's not a good dancer. It's just, I was the, gonna praise, say, but it's also that's, the approval yeah. is not real. And so now he's looking for something. He doesn't real value and he finds it that because in it's Stephanie. 
is is because it's not real or is he doesn't value it because this is now from a bunch of styrofoam coffee drinkers and he doesn't value that approval anymore yeah i mean I, they know? I i think it's two ways of maybe saying a similar or the same thing but yeah mm. yeah totally he sees them for what they are and so that praise becomes meaningless to him did you not see that any of that because so like i again because i i had this very clear impression that he was protesting too much about his loss and like the uh were they puerto ricans is that what they said uh-huh. the, the okay so the puerto ricans are over there and they're celebrating the win they didn't they certainly weren't over there sulking like oh we fucking got you know shafted out of this thing yeah i got the clear impression that that was more out of his guilt for the barracuda crime like he wronged these latin american folks and even got didn't even get the guilty party he just beat up a bunch of people for perceived wrong that was entirely and so now this is kind of like a makeup like it's like the telltale heart like here is these innocent uh mm-hmm. hispanic people dancing he also was running that like uh they, they opened up with like when the dj was starting to play some you know latin inspired he comes up he's like what is this shit why can't you put put the bgs back on or whatever and the dj's like nah fuck off this is that uh, this is just hot like he doesn't have any respect for that and like by doing the whole barracuda raid he felt so bad about that that like that colored his opinion of the contest because like i i think i mean everything you say is true like i think that club is in the tank i think there is some racial animosity that these puerto ricans are coming to kind of like a what a whites only club or something um or like an italian americans only club and there's like friction there and they face some hostility but they get second place Mm-hmm. And again, it wasn't played like a boo hiss kind of thing. I, I don't know. I don't. I, I I I feel like I need to watch it again. But like, I'm good at seeing this movie. Like, I might watch it. Like, I sometimes watch <laughs> Fiddler on the Roof, and I always stop the movie when the wedding gets busted up because I'm like, oh, the second half of this movie is just a massive fucking bummer. <laughs> Gotcha. <laughs> I yeah. like the tradition and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And and uh, if I was a wealthy man, that's all that's all really fun. But like once the pogroms start, uh, that's that's just a real fucking bummer. Uh, I feel like this movie, if I watched it again, I would want to turn it off at the contest. Because yeah. Everything after that is just a massive fucking bummer. No, the the second time around, it's definitely more like, oh, boy, you're watching the first half of this movie going, hmm. This is going to get real dark real fast. It's a ama- you're watching all the contrast moments. Yeah. Uh, the first time though, yeah, I was just as shocked as you were. I had no idea. And and I've only seen it once before we decided to do this podcast. So obviously like not my favorite movie or anything. And I think it's good, not great. Yeah. Though yeah, some would yeah. dispute that. It's certainly not my favorite movie like a Siskel, but this is widely considered the best movie, 1977, which I don't know if that says something about 1977. <laughs> ah, come on, but... man. You, you, there's, a, there's another conspicuous movie that came out in 1977. What? Was it The Godfather? I, I'll give you some time. I'll give you some time. Uh, was it Taxi it's a sci-fi Driver? favorite. Oh, Star Wars? Uh-huh. <laughs> You think Star Okay, is Star Wars the best movie that comes out in 1977? Like, it's, well, it's hell of entertaining and... Yeah, I, from a certain point of view. How about that? <laughs> mm, yeah, I guess so. I was trying to look at what else was getting because the Star Wars is up for best picture. So you had Annie Hall. Okay, I've heard a lot about that. Goodbye, girl. Never heard that. Julia. 
I don't think I've ever heard of that. Star Wars. Oh, Star Wars was nominated for Best Picture. I'll be damned. And the turning point. Um, yeah, it looks like it just went up, went up against the fucking Woody Allen woodchipper. <laughs> Close Encounters was that same. <laughs> Close Encounters was that same year, too. Interesting. Oh, damn. All right. Good year for sci-fi. Anyway, uh, yeah. So not my favorite movie, but it's it's definitely... I would recommend everybody watch it once, at least. Especially if you think of this movie as just like John Travolta's dance numbers over and over again. That's it's okay. That's so the question. That. That's that's what I think is interesting is that this movie doesn't have the reputation reputation of having this extremely leaden ending. Like right. I would think that like the cultural it, it'd be kind of like if uh, everybody's like oh that movie Life is Beautiful with that one guy and it's about the the, the the what a great relationship the father and the son have and don't mention that like oh by the way the father gets killed in a fucking concentration camp at the end uh, as he's doing a clown routine for his son it's but but that's it like it's it'd be so weird to have like that omitted uh mm-hmm. where it's just like yes this is just known as this kind of like fun breezy disco john travolta young and beautiful which well, she is like you know he's got these crystal blue eyes uh uh you know he's he's got this disco build man he's got this like slender like kind of bruce lee thing going on uh you know, like there's lots of shots of him running around in like bikini brief underwear and like flexing his muscles. And it's very like obviously trying to appeal to a certain um, I, 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 if anything, this movie, I think caters more to the female gaze to, than the male one, which is wild for a movie of its era as well. Yeah. Um, I, but I, it just like I comes out of nowhere with like some Schindler's List type shit. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, you know what I found hilarious in this movie there are a couple of pretty funny moments but the one that got me that i don't think is intentional Mm -hmm. is frank jr has just quit the church the Mm -hmm. priesthood and he's come back home he's not at dinner that night and his mom's all fretting about like oh god he'll he'll come back to the church right he'll come back and john travolta stands up and says he's not coming back ma now you got three shit children and I'm like, I'm doing the math. Three shit children. There's Frank Jr. There's Tony. And oh, there's his little sister, his 11 year old little the sister. The, he calls a shit p- child is yeah, sitting yeah, across yeah. the table uh-huh. from him hearing this and they don't even give her a reaction shot. I know. She seems like such a happy little thing. She comes bouncing down the she's staircase. Look at the sugar. picture I drew you, Tony. You go to hang it up in your room. To- That's the only time she's ever seen. She's a shit You're child. Shit, girl. You're shit. Fucking shit. 12-year-old child. Drawing pretty pictures for it to Volta. But he's... I mean, but that's a classic, right? Like, I actually, some of those dynamics made a lot of sense. That's a classic. Like, we don't know how to deal with our emotions, so we'll provoke totally. things until genuine hurt happens, and that triggers the reconciliation. That's the only way yeah. we know how to get in back. Is like when you cry, and I've hurt my mother, and now I feel like a shit, and I want to take all, even though there's like, yeah, it's like, yeah. Um, I mean, this is very, but, like, stereotypical movie Italian family stuff true uh and, and i I'd actually compare this movie a lot to the movie don john i don't know how many people have seen that it's got scarlett johansson and joseph gordon levitt is it not don through. juan it's don john i think it's don john yeah oh okay wow all right i always assumed that was don movies don juan it was based loosely on the don juan legend but anyway so. it's very it's very similar to this where he has like this club life where he's going out clubbing all the time and he's looking for all the wrong things. Then he meets a woman who changes his mind in uh, Julia 
Julianne Moore. Yes, with Julianne Moore. Um, that movie's actually really good. Hmm. I like it. It's a lot like this, except not as dark. We'll be right back with more Bald Move after this brief pause. We try to make it super easy to support making podcasts at Bald Move. Just join the club. But some people aren't a joining type, or maybe they're already in the club but want to add a little bit of gratuity for an especially great season of coverage, or for a podcast that really spoke to them or gave them that bit of support in a tough time. For these, and for whatever other reason you might have, our tip jar is always open. Head over to support.baldmove.com and click the donate option to say, hey, keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate it. Once again, check out support.baldmove.com for all the great ways to help me and Jim keep making the podcast you love. Since the dawn of time, we've been putting clothes on our back that identify us with our people, our group, our tribe. And why Bald Move might be one of the smallest, weirdest tribes out there, transcending all concepts of border, class, culture, and creed, we still have respect for the old ways. At support.baldmove.com, you can get t-shirts, hats, mugs, and more. We have something for every one of our podcasts, or just wear the four pips of the Bald Move logo with pride. Bald Move merch beats running around naked. And they make a great gift for the Bald Move fan in your life. Join our tribe. Head over to support.baldmove.com and click on merch to start shopping. Commission podcasts are an awesome feature here at Bald Move that allows you, the individual listener, to decide what we talk about for a single podcast. The community loves it because it often leads to fun fan favorite films and TV shows that we've overlooked getting the coverage they deserve. And we love it because we're constantly exposed to great stuff that's not even on our radar. The way it works is simple. You go to support.baldmove.com and you click on commissions. Then you pay the flat rate for the commission and tell us what two-ish hours of content you'd like us to make podcast on. Then we'll contact you for details, advanced feedback, and any dedications you'd like to make. Then we watch the thing, discuss the thing, turn it into a podcast, and pump it right into your ears. We get consistently great feedback on how much our commissioners love their podcast, and they make great gifts for the dedicated Bald Move fan in your life. And who knows, that dedicated fan could even be you. Treat yourself. Check out support.baldmove.com for more info. And now, back with more Bald Move. Uh, the one thing I did admire about this movie is, and this was, this was called out in a lot of contemporary reviews, but they did a good amount of storytelling on the dance floor. Like these dance numbers, it's run me a lot of a Hollywood musical that way, and that um, they weren't this there like a just a dance break. They always furthered the understanding you had of the like the first one establishes like John Travolta is the fucking king. This is why everyone in the movie mm-hmm. is going to try to worship him and get to him is because of this. And then the next one is all about, you know, um, the fact that this one girl is just not going to cut it and he's frustrated with her. And then the other one is like, oh, she's his match and he's enthralled with her. And like they tell like all these like like a good the same way a good fight sequence in an action movie. It's not just there for its sake. It actually is part of the thing. And if you omitted those, you wouldn't understand where these characters are coming from. 
Um, mm-hmm. And like I said, I, I it just feels so sophisticated for a what fe- what feels like a music industry cash grab, you know? Uh, oh, for sure. But sophistication, but like uh, jumping up onto the White Castle table and barking like a dog. Yeah, yeah. I had that. I, I had a dance storytelling numbers just to, as a placeholder until I remembered the thing I really wanted to talk about, which is. It goes to my point about the, the Breaking Bad It's like when people were watching this back in the day, because I see these movies as kind of like have you ever seen like those workplace safety videos where it's like, you know, like I you 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 went you you worked at FedEx, right? Did they show mm-hmm. you the scene of the guy getting sucked into the jet intake? <laughs> I don't remember. And I really? certainly would. How the fuck that. do you forget a man getting sucked into a jet intake like a piece of spaghetti? That's and what then I a mean. fireball getting shot out the other it, side as his remains were shot out the other end of this fucking jet engine. <laughs> and it's kind of like, you know, the point of watching this and thing is like a conveyor belt. The point of watching this thing is like, stay the fuck away from jet engines. They have uh-huh. a surprising amount of range and suction. And it's not like one of those things where it's like, oh, God, I'm starting to be sucked. I can fight. It's like you're you're walking by and then in a blink, almost too fast for his black and white CCTV to catch it. You're going to be sucked through and spaghettified. This movie, when I'm watching John Travolta interact with women, I almost well, I feel like it's one of those OSHA things where it's like you're supposed to the instructor's supposed to pause and be like. This is the op. You, you, look at John Travolta going into this area without his heart a helmet. He has not entered the proper lockouts and he's working with the live circuit. Was were, were people aware of that aspect in 1977 or were like because imagine watching that like that safety film about the jet engines and like everybody walks out is like I don't know what else you could do man I mean you got to walk from A to B that jet mm-hmm. engine is at the midpoint like I guess you just get sucked into jet engine sometimes like I feel like a lot of it just didn't interface with the idea that there's so many terrible fucking dynamics at work oh yeah. um. And that's that's like when you're talking about these movies are like 50 years old. I I wonder like what from 50 years hence people will look back and like be wondering about us. Like, did they know that this was all a fucking put on or this is a bad idea? Or is that just like shit, man? That's what you got to do, man. If a woman, you know, she's a woman's been dancing with you a couple months like and she says no to sex. I mean, what else are you going to do? You're going to like you're going to be a pussy. You know, you're going to not take, try to take what's yours. It's like it's just some insane shit. But the movie doesn't ever really pass commentary. And uh, uh, until you get to the very end where Travolta is mm-hmm. in all these terrible situations and like passively participating. And and then it's like I thought it's like, oh, finally, he's going to fucking comfort Annette um, after this terrible experience has happened to her. And no, he just turns the tables and heaps more scorn to where I think she's about to fling herself off the bridge. I'm just like, yeah. holy. And again, the movie doesn't give. And then at the end he goes back to uh stephanie and essentially says hey yo i'm really sorry it didn't it didn't mean to try to rape and assault you and you know mr carter uh welcome back and she's like okay i guess we can be friends again movie's done that felt so fucking unsatisfying i don't feel like he learned a lesson i don't feel like he paid a price i felt like they didn't have a authentic conversation ah so frustrating yeah yeah, I'm trying. I'm still trying to parse that ending, um, especially how I feel about it the second time when I can like look a little more objectively at the film rather mm. than be shocked by the turns it takes. And I I don't know that I'm all the way there yet with it. I that's why I say like it's good, not great. I I think there are some dots that don't quite connect for me, but most of it does. Um, 
I, I think, you know, he, he's a guy who's caught up in it, right? Like he just gets caught up in the lifestyle, this party lifestyle where he's the man and he's anything 19. he does is okay, de facto. Nothing prepares you to be the man when you are 19. Sure. Like to yeah. have that much adoration and worship for something. Like, and like, it must feel undeserved because like, what did he do to get the things? Like he just was interested and started dancing and going to clubs and he was really good at shaking his hips. And now he's the king of the yeah. floor. He practices. And also given that. how that just doesn't translate into the real world. Right, right. <laughs> you know, like you can be at the top of this achievement in this one area. And it's like being the best curler in the world. At the mm-hmm. end of the day, unless you're in a bar in Manitoba, who gives a fuck? Yeah. So, I don't know, man. Shots fired at the curlers out there. I understand it's Olympic <laughs> sport and all, but it's what came to my mind when I thought about a useless fucking thing that wouldn't actually translate. I mean, you got look. If you don't have a salesman job at a caterpillar factory or something, you're 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 not living off your you're not living off of your curling. I can already hear the hundreds of Canadians writing in. Actually, did you know that? The Canadian curling league. Yeah, that that, that Pauli Hoffmeister of Ontario is the world's (laughs) highest paid curler. Gets two hundred fifty thousand a year to curl. The sweep, not even the yeah, yeah. He's a sweeper. He's legendary sweeper. I can't believe the disrespect coming from. First it was the oatmeal cookies. Versus oatmeal oatmeal raisin cookies. Now he's coming for curling. Aaron's wild out there. Can we talk about Bobby? Talking about himself in the third person? Yeah. What do you want to talk about? What? Bobby. Bobby's the kid who gets his girlfriend pregnant. Oh, in Jesus. This movie. The whipping boy. Yeah, he's he's a lot. Um, this character is a lot to watch. But I I feel his pain, too. I think, like, they paint a pretty good picture of him looking to everything in his life and trying to find some advice, some help from people he thinks are his friends. Um, But over the course of this movie, everyone he turns to, including God, in the form of Father Frank Jr., just shuts him down, won't give him the time of day. And he's kind of the opposite of Tony Manero in a lot of ways. Um, He's actively searching for something before Tony ever does. Uh, Mm. He doesn't know how to express it, and he's not respected at all. He's just kind of there. And and yeah, he just gets shit on this whole movie, and then, boy, he just loses his mind by the end of it. Yeah, he's cowardly. He's portrayed as weak. He's portrayed as dumb, although he's, like, good at staying out of trouble. Like, you know, he, he made the right call sure, on that whole sure. uh, fucking Barracuda thing. And even that, that kind of like, I thought some of that was a little muddy too, because they play this prank on Annette where they go to his bridge and they just act like these crazy jackasses, you know, like they're doing, doing all this wild, crazy stuff. And it turns out they're doing it mm-hmm. over a catwalk. that's like three foot above and there's no danger at all. And they all act like they fall off and she's they like, like oh, they no. bug off. And like, I also, I didn't like that. Cause I, I suddenly, I was a net in the movie and I'm like, I wouldn't like this. I'm like, geez, what are yeah. I? Can't, okay. You guys are drinking. You've been on drugs and now you're dancing off these trusses. You're sliding down your steel cables. Have you seen oh. someone's hands oh. that a steel cables pulled through with like a yeah. frayed cable and it just slices. It's like, right, what are you guys do? You guys just do. And then, you know, it's like, aha, you fucking idiot. You dumb. <laughs> they even said she's like when she's freaking out, they go to Bobby, who's in the car still. And he's like, oh, you dumb bitch. And I'm like, 
oh god bobby's gonna dump on you for yeah being a normal human so then when bobby's out dancing on the thing i'm like well how much danger is he in because they just established early in the movie that you fall off. There's a catwalk. And apparently, I guess there's a special power on the bridge where if you jerk around, it's for real. It's for keeps. So I, like that it, was yeah. really confusing. I thought he was just doing this stupid joke again. And I don't. I don't yeah. But. um, Yeah. I don't know. Subtly pro abortion of the movie that like, you know, look at all this is caused just because these young people that are right. culturally and religiously shut out of birth control. And it's going to ruin this, like, you know, this baby's not going to have a father. And yeah, they never uh, even bring it up as a possibility, which was interesting to me. I don't it's def- know if well, it's a brought time up as a possibility, or- but it's like one of those like possibilities that just is not open to a cat. Like if you don't want to go to hell, right? because you have to ask God for it. And God's not going <laughs> to look yeah, if Pope- Tony Monero's not going to give you time of day. God's not either. <laughs> yeah, the Pope ain't going. <laughs> Pope is not going to take your dispensation case for your for your abortion in 1977, Bobby. No. Um. Yeah, it. Uh. That's the thing. It's like all of the friends were just kind of like real bummers. Mm-hmm. Um. And you kind of like slowly started realizing that as the movie went on. Like Bobby's the one that's most obviously pathetic, but. Yeah, yeah but they all, all are. I mean, Double J is like this and criminal, head. like. Yeah, yeah, where I'm, I'm, I'm letting them off easy when I'm saying there's like you know, uh, fucking assholes and it's like they're, they're, they're criminal. <laughs> they, they yeah. beat up innocent people. They rape women. They just, it's the, it's the worst. Uh, there, there's another shocking thing about this movie, and it's the language. It's not just the events, but the language they use in this movie. I mean, there's a lot of racist stuff. There's sure. a lot of uh, uh, anti-homosexual stuff. There's a lot of homophobic if you if you could think of the word while you were on a podcast uh and and just like the thing that really struck me though about it is the way that tony talks about women is crazy given the reactions of the women he's talking to because he drops the crudest statements and mm. and people just take them in stride there there is right. and i don't know if this is a new york thing like you can say i ain't promoting your pussy or nothing and the woman you're talking to will be like oh yeah okay i i don't know if that's a new york thing or if that's a 1977 thing or if that's just a stephanie thing but she does not bat an eye when he says that and then it, like, it even might be a still going we, down on this in certain places and certain times uh to this day kind of thing because like yeah i don't know it's just not something I would ever say or something sure. that I could hear and be like, sure. Oh, that's a normal saying that people would use when talking no. to each other. No, we were we had the fortune of broadly speaking being what they call raised right and uh <laughs> sure. Not, sure, that's not, what I call you it. know. I, I yeah. I mean, it was <laughs> So, but it it is, yeah, like the fact that like um I, I kind of think you're, he gets away with it just because of who he is. He's just so powerful yeah. in this environment that people are like, you know. Yeah, but yeah, the he's not as likable. The guys want to be him. The guys want to be him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But he's he's surprisingly unlikable for what I thought was going to happen in this movie. Because usually when the protagonist is like, he might be full of himself, but like, you know, he's not. He's got some kind of shred of humility or, you mm-hmm. know. But it's a pretty pitiless look. And that's why I think it's like, yeah, maybe since 1977, this wasn't taken as like, you know, Travolta is uh, a bad guy. It's more of like, oh, he's a mixed up kid. And which could also be true. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's tough to his say. whole life Kids is do pretty fucking shitty. Stuff and, yep. Like you grew up in an environment where your dad, like, you know, it's like that line where he's like, you not, you know, there's only two times people have ever said something good about me when my boss just gave me this bullshit raise and when I dance on at the 2001, you know. Mm. He's never gotten love or respect from his parents. He's always been overshadowed by his big brother and his big brother comes home and breaks up with God and says, fuck all this stuff. Just do whatever you want. Yeah, it's had it tough yeah. for sure. But whew, boy, the movie whew, does, a, does a lot to dig in the hole with the audience, at least this audience. You know, I haven't heard a good Stugat since I stopped my I, I finished my rewatch <laughs> of Sopranos. It's good to hear a good, good hearty Stugats. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, can I ask you something? Why the fuck did these guys ride three to a front seat so much in this movie? I thought for a minute that it was a two car. It was like a coupe, but there's perfectly functional back door, back seats. They got four people to a car. They're riding a three, one configuration. It's because Bobby's back there. Nobody wants to sit (laughs) next to Bobby. Even when Bobby's driving, they're driving three to a front seat. Fair. fair. You think the fellows are protesting too much? They like that male companionship. Yeah. Or maybe there's a status to the front seat. Maybe, you know, that's where Tony sits. So that's where they want to sit. Yeah. I'm not even saying it can't be a broadly speaking, quote unquote, no homo situation. But they just really, (laughs) they they love their guys so much. They like physically being close to the guys. They would never admit it. And it's not a gay thing. It's a a male companionship thing. Hmm. But like three to a front seat. I get it's a 1977 land whale, but still it looked pretty cramped. And there's a perfectly functional three-person backseat in the back. It seemed crazy to me. I want to know, a better question, why don't they make cars with three seats in the front anymore? Because uh, cafe standards. That's why the average American drives a three-and-a-half-ton SUV. Yeah, the California fuel emission thing that, like, oh, all cars cafe. have to... okay. Yeah, no, that's like, yeah, car, uh, American cars are crazy light and fuel efficient and all that kind of stuff, and no one drives them because they'd rather drive the three-and-a-half-ton suburban that you can fit a family in like we don't have station wagons anymore we don't have full-size cars uh those all went away when cars couldn't weigh three thousand pounds and have a v8 in them no more i'm confused why why can't you put a three seat uh three seat they'd, they'd be too heavy It'd be too heavy it wouldn't be aerodynamic and that you have to have a certain hmm. uh aver- aggregate fuel mileage in your fleet of cars and trucks are exempt from that so put put two seats in the back three in the front there yeah, bring the station wagon back. I would love it. I'd love it. But I don't. Yeah. How about like, four why? seats in the front? None in the back. Just all front row seating. <laughs> Imagine uh, the, the how cab wide space. would that be? How wide would that be? <laughs> Pretty wide. No wider than a Humvee, a Hummer. If you, if you could make a theater out of just stretching that fucker out into like a limo configuration. Just uh-huh. like, yeah, four people wide, nine rows stadium seated. <laughs> why not? Sure. Why not? I did the reason I, I think that like I actually don't like the three because like the person in the middle has always got a miserable experience. Yeah, they're getting elbowed by the driver. The driver hates them because their elbows can't move freely. Can't shift. Yeah, it's a shitty. Can't got your guys knees up in, in, in your console. It's not it's not a good look. Now you got three shit seats flow. Three right. shit seats. You gotta have two bucket. But now nah, you gotta have three shit. Three shit ones. What else? What else do we want to talk about? I, I, I'm That's pretty. It. We're I've, talking I've, about the, the seats. Would you like to mop my sweat? Would you like to mop this the sweat off of my brow, Jim? I hear that's harder than getting laid. No, 
No, I don't. What a crazy movie. What a movie that confounded my expectations. I, I had some expectations coming in and the yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It uh it's wild. It's like showing up without knowing it to a beef and board. It's like I expected the dinner and now I'm getting a play. It's like I expected the fun dance movie and now I'm getting some some Jesus. I don't know even know what. Um, we, all right. we didn't talk about the Brooklyn Bridge as metaphor, but I don't know that I have a solid enough thesis on that. But they're doing wasn't it just stuff. like his like his escape like that just that that literally was uh, I mean he he, he yeah, spells it all after Stephanie you know his his big pond a big fish little pond to a little fish big pond it's it's a transition it's it's Brooklyn Bridge as transition moment in your life it's a lot of different things but where do yeah. you park in that bridge where you can just go and start fucking around in superstructure and not get arrested immediately. When does the Brooklyn Bridge not have a ton of traffic on it? I guess 2 a.m. 1977 on Saturday night, <laughs> I guess. I suppose. At 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. But yeah, these guys did that like every Saturday. Number one, I think like a bunch of people would start joining. That's that's the other thing is like I it somewhat took me, it took me out of the movie that like the club was this deferential to Travolta. Like really, there's not one drunk coked up loser that thinks he can keep up with Travolta and is just going to make an ass of himself sloppy copying his moves and shit they actually and there's a one line dance scene where you can see a guy kind of do that where he's uh-huh. like i'm gonna silo behind travolta and just copy his moves and i thought that might become a thing but yeah no one fucks with travolta when he starts strutting everybody gets off and just like lets him hold court until he gets too sweaty and hot and he has to go get his brow mopped i you know what let's talk about the dance sequences once uh by a brooklyn five by brooklyn five uh because uh, i was surprised so there are a couple of dance sequences one that one that's like pretty impressive where john travolta is dancing with connie played by fran drescher and then he just leaves her on the sidelines and goes and does his own thing and just tears up the floor right. and that i'm like genuinely impressed by he's doing splits he's rolling around mm-hmm. the ground he's doing that russian dancing kind of thing uh-huh. and doing split doing van dan splits and yeah but this and this might be the point, but this dance that he does with Stephanie that wins the competition is a dance we have seen multiple times throughout. I, I think it's called the New York Hustle mm. is is maybe how he describes it, because he says, oh, do you know the New York Hustle or the Latin Hustle? Mm. And she's like, I know them both. It's and a tango hustle, right? That, that dance. tango hustle. It, it, I don't know. Uh, uh-huh. Like I said, not a dancer, but he so he does this thing that we've seen him do five times throughout the movie already. And it's unimpressive. And I mean, it's it's fine, but it's no like. It's nothing like we've seen him do before by himself. And and then he just starts making out with her on the dance floor. And I'm like, well, maybe you would feel like you earned this trophy more if you had not just turned your dance to a makeout session. If you've done more dancing, you Mm. might feel better about yourself. Uh was but that a was literal? Because not- because I got I, I wondered if they were hinting that this was like a moment frozen in time. Like you're not supposed to understand sure. that they they kiss for like 30 <laughs> seconds on the dance floor as everyone just stops. And the music, it's more of like. Right. You know, D- definitely. But like I've seen him do that dance five times in the movie already. It wasn't that impressive yeah. at that moment. Uh, and that might be the point. He did a dance that, you know, was not that impressive and he won with it. But yeah, uh, I kept on making that judgment throughout. Not very impressive. I kept on making that judgment throughout the whole, you know, 
Like if you see an old Gene Kelly musical, at no point do you're like, I could do this. But there's several times where I'm like, like there's this one point where <laughs> Travolta like laced his fingers together and just started doing the the. Uh-huh. Yeah, I can't obviously the I can't do it, but like. Whatever. I mean, how much of this stuff was actually impressive for the time and how much of this stuff is, is kind of stupid? And then I guess like if any when any one era of dancing, if you isolated and made a movie about it, like would this yeah. stuff hold up in isolation? Because some of that stuff just, yeah, it's just about finger pointing mm-hmm. in rhythm and it feels pretty square. Line dancing. like That's the other thing. That's like that's. Uh, yeah, I can do the electric slide. Sure, sure. And, you know, obviously uh, Travolta's had some training and he can really bop with it. He's very smooth. Um, but oh, yeah, yeah, the technical, it, it wasn't there was that there's a couple dances that were very technical in nature. But yeah, mm-hmm. maybe you, I think I, the more I think about it, the more I think you're right, that you're supposed to understand that Travolta did a shit job and they just gave it to him because he's coasting. But they also showed that he and his partner worked really hard the entire movie. Right, right. But but he did that dance in the club like four times already. Everybody's seen it. He's gonna trot that out at the championship. It's like, it's like That's a, weak. Yeah, it's like a dirty dancing at the end when Swayze. It's like it's if Swayze's like, oh fuck you guys, fuck you guys. You know we weren't the best. <laughs> you put baby in the corner. You fucked everything up. I'm done. You you take this trophy and he storms out. It's like ah, yeah. I the whole arc was they tried really good. They even had the like mid. Where they had a miscommunication or she big timed him because she's fucking this other dude that's, you know, helping her with her career. And then they had the reconciliation. And I, like I said, I, I wasn't primed for this as a fraudulent win. Um, in fact, I yeah, actually yeah. thought this reveal was going to be that this guy was one of the Barracudas and there's going to be bloodshed on the floor oh, at this point shit. in the movie. You know, like, oh, you got the wrong guys and here's this mysterious guy to come dancing from a neighborhood mm-hmm. you don't recognize and he's from that ethnicity. Oh, fuck, you guys are going to take a switchblade at the... But, nah, like... Yeah, that's that's the Tony Montana version, not the Tony Monero version. <laughs> yeah. So we've got uh, another movie that is not purporting to be a fun experience. It's uh, Schindler's List, uh, which is going to be celebrating its 30-year anniversary this year. Um... I haven't seen this movie since it came out. Um, I, I got a lot to say about the the um, gray area as a Jehovah's Witness that you have to watch rated R movies. Um, mm-hmm. th- you know, this this film about the Holocaust for s- certain reasons was definitely one where I think a lot of people looked the other way. And it's kind of open secret that a lot of families, you know, were watching this as a, like almost an educational thing. Um I but it's yeah, it's been almost 30 years since I've seen it. I'm really curious to see, uh, you know, how it holds up. Uh, Subject material feels kind of strangely relevant again. Uh, Schindler's List is going to be the next um, uh, prestige movie we see. So uh, we will see you when we get to recording that. Thanks to our executive producers for helping us pick out uh, the prestige movies the last few weeks. This is one of their picks or did we force this? Was this one of the ones where I think this was one of their picks? All right. I was hoping because, like I said, I've been this has been on my list to see and I'm glad I saw it. It's just one of those things where I can't imagine I'll ever see it again. Or if I do, definitely stopping. Maybe even before the Barracuda scene. So I think what is the perfect what's the perfect moment to bail out on this movie? Certainly after the he wins the contest. Um, Actually, just after they get done with their dance, they kiss dance is over. That's where you stop. They win the you know, just they, they win the trophy. The other people don't show up. There's no buzz harsh. Everyone lives happily ever after. Uh, thanks for listening to another one of our prestige movie reviews. We'll be back next week's Schindler's List. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.